As we come to the scripture, let me ask you, please, <clears throat> to pray with me. Father in heaven, um, as we open the scripture, by your spirit we encounter our Lord Jesus. Really on every page and in every situation, from Genesis all the way through to the end of the New Testament and Revelation. So in this day, I pray that you would enable us, Holy Spirit, to encounter our Lord Jesus, that we may have hope in him and know that he satisfies our deepest longing and desires. So please now be with us as we read this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse 35. John in chapter 1, please, verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you'll see so they came and saw where he was staying, and they, and they stayed with him that hour, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kephas, or Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. When Nathanael said to him, can any good come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven, and heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then together we say, <clears throat> the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Last week, we were in Luke. And we um, were observing this encounter that the baby Jesus had with this man, Simeon. You might remember that Simeon looked at this baby and said, you're going to be the cause of the rising and falling of many in Israel. And he said, it's uh, these encounters with Jesus that the thoughts of our hearts will be revealed. And then they will be when we encounter Jesus. Um, our destiny is revealed because it's in Jesus that we find or true destiny. And so if we encounter Jesus, 
and we reject its to our falling, we encounter Jesus, we receive its to our rising with him to life, you see. So I, I thought it would be helpful for us during this time of year to consider various encounters with Jesus. And so uh, really my, my, my mind and heart was to consider this encounter that um, Jesus had with Nathaniel. And I realized it was part of a bigger context. We may have to play a bit forward before we get to it. But that's really where I want to end up. But my real hope is, my real hope is that each of us will deepen in our desire to encounter Jesus. That each of us will deepen in our desire to really know him. To, 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 to spend time with him in the word, to speak to him as we pray, to see him in all, in all of our lives. So that's the hope of, of all of this. I pray that he'll enable us. Uh, this begins with uh, John the Baptist. I always, I always refer to him as JB in my notes. but John the Baptist. So I can distinguish him from John the Apostle. But John the Baptist. And so John, you remember, um, from even the prophet Isaiah, had a calling upon his life. It was a prophetic calling. The calling came from uh, initially from Isaiah that he was to prepare the way uh, of the Lord. And he did that, the scripture tells us, by preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John got it. John knew why the Messiah would come. He would come to bring forgiveness of sins so that people could be reconciled to God. It wasn't going to be a political thing about Rome or about any um, political oppressors, really. It would be about the real enemy, the, the, the real slavery uh, to sin. And so John, John got that. And so you remember when Jesus came on the scene, he introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Bells and whistles would be going off in the heads of Israelites should have been, when they heard that, they, they'd get lambs, they, they knew that lambs were to be sacrificed in our stead. They would know that all the way back from the Passover. They would know that even on a daily basis as animals were being sacrificed and, and all, of, all of that in their place. And so he was the one who would come and end all sacrifices. They would know, I suspect, what the prophet Isaiah said, that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord God had laid the iniquity of us all on him. He would be the Lamb of God to end all lambs, if you, if you will. And so, so John prepped, and as John prepped, and then Jesus comes on the scene... We, we find two of John's disciples, one of them named uh, Andrew. We don't have the name of the other one. Some suspect it could be the Apostle John, and he was a bit modest, didn't name himself often, but um, could have been, we don't simply know. But we know it was at least Andrew and this other disciple of, of John, and uh, they, they followed Jesus, which gives the sense that they had a, an understanding of their own sin, of their own need. If he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, oh, let's follow him uh, because he must be the one 
who's able to deal with our sin. And so, so just in that brief moment, we, we see in this encounter with Jesus that if we get him, if we see him, then we see our own sin. And we see the need for him. Do you, do you, do you? When you think of Jesus, do you think of the Lamb of God who takes away your sin? And if you do then, and you follow him, then that, that means you, you have a deep desire to be forgiven of your sins and know that he's the one through whom this forgiveness comes in. If you don't, then what you're saying is, I've got this. I don't need him. I'm all right. It'll work out. We've got this. You see that. So they saw, must have seen, in some real sense, their own need for the Lamb of God to take away sin. So they would be, they would be forgiven. Now what's fascinating is when they come to Jesus, verse 38, and start following him, Jesus asks this question, what are you seeking? Now, we know, especially if you read through the Gospel of John, that when Jesus talks, he often has a deeper meaning than we might perceive in the very beginning. You know, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about birth, but he's not talking about physical birth, he's talking about spiritual birth. And when he meets the woman at the well, he's talking about water, but he's not talking about physical water, he's talking about spiritual water. And when he feeds the 5,000, he's not really interested in bread, he's really interested in life. And when he gives sight to the blind man, he's not really interested in our physical seeing, though that's important to him, obviously, but what he's really interested in is our spiritual sight. And so when Jesus asked this question, what are you seeking? I don't know what they got, but I know what I'm thinking. Jesus wants to know why they're really following him. And I think of that in my own life. Why am I attracted to Jesus? Why am I following him? Am I following him just so that he can make my life easier, so he can, he can deal with my difficulties, so when they come, to, come about, then I, I can rely upon him to maybe take them away or do all of that. Now, now, that's really true. He's really interested in all of that. He's interested in, in everything. We see him as he heals people and all that. And he does command us, tell us that we're to pray for our daily bread. So he's interested in all those physical details, all those details. But the question is, when I, when I think about Jesus and I hear this question, I hear him say to me, Bill, what do you want? And in my heart of hearts, I know what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to say, I want you. I want to follow you. I want you to satisfy the real longings of my heart. I want you to lead me. I want you to fill me. Now, P.S. Jesus, I'll come to you a bunch saying, I really feel bad today, could you help me? <laughs> or, I'm out of money, could, could you really solve that problem? Or, I'm having a difficulty here, a difficulty there. Could you, could you take that away? Could you, could you help me in all of this? But I don't follow you. Submit myself to you. Everything I think and everything I do and everything I say. That's fascinating. When Jesus asked them this question, they, they say, um, so, so, uh, uh, where are you staying? 
And, and I go, well, that's a good question. If you're going to follow somebody, you probably should know where you're going. Literally, logistically, with them, where you're staying, we're going to follow you. So let's 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 go. And 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 Jesus just says, come and see. And again, you sort of think he's saying, I'm going to show you something. Not just where I'm staying. I'm going to show you where I'm really from. I'm going to show you who I really am. And, and he must have, have, have done that because they stayed with him with that day. It says for about, it was about the 10th hour. So uh, mid later afternoon and, and on into the evening. And, and then uh, they, they really saw, they, they must have really seen because uh, one of the two, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, uh, uh, it went and found his brother Simon and, and said to him, we found the Messiah. So in coming and seeing what they saw was he was the, really the anointed one. And, and they would get that because they knew uh, Messiah, Christ, anointed ones uh, from their own tradition would have been priests who were anointed. And so he was the one who would intercede uh, for us with God. And he would be the one who would bring the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice. And he would be the prophet, the one who would come with the truth, not just simply be the way, but be the truth. And also he'd be king, be life to them. And so he comes to his brother Simon and he says, um, uh, we found the Christ and, and, uh, and, uh, and then Jesus looks at Simon and changes his name. <laughs> it's like I just met you. And, and he, he changes his name. He changes his identity. Jesus has the authority to do that. And he, he changes his name to Rock. And, 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 and it's interesting because as we read about Peter's life, especially in the Gospels, we, we don't see Rock necessarily. We see the one to whom Jesus turns at a particular point in time and says, get behind me, Satan. We, we see uh, a, a man who at a particular point of time is looking at Jesus and actually walking on water and then takes his eyes off Jesus and sinks. Like a rock, I suppose. But not the one we had in mind. He's the one who denies Jesus. But then, after the resurrection, after the coming of the Spirit, he's the rock. He preaches. And he gets it. And the foundation of the church is established on that day. Through the preaching of the word by this one who is the rock. Hmm. Ah. When I come to Jesus, what am I expecting really? I'm not expecting things to be as they once were. Because I'm expecting that he'll give me a new name. He's going to call me a child of God. He's going he's to change everything, you see, about my life. And so I should see that when I encounter Jesus. But, but then he comes to Galilee and he finds Philip who must know Andrew and, and Peter and, uh, and and he commands Philip he just says follow me we don't know all that went on before that uh, how much Philip knew he must have known something as we see but, but but Jesus has the authority to command a person to follow him and so Philip Philip does and he does so because he knows that this Jesus is the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's that very one. He's the one about whom Moses 
spoke in the law. And, 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 and Philip tells Nathaniel, we found him. We found him. And then the statement of Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And we recognize statements like that. It's just a statement of prejudice. It's a statement of prejudging. Oh, we don't know what went into that statement that informed Nathaniel to say it, but, but he obviously didn't have a very high view of Nazareth or the people who lived there. Was it an experience he had with one or two or was it the reputation of the city? Was it, was it simply some inner city rivalry? He was from Canaan, Galilee. And so he looked upon Nazarene high and didn't like that very much. And so was it something like that or, or was it something that Nazareth was just a two-bit town and it couldn't compare to where he lived. And so everybody who came for that must not really measure up. Obviously, he was wrong. It was just his prejudice that was coming out. But, but, but Simon seems to, I'm sorry, Philip seems to ignore that and uses the same words that Jesus used for Andrew and the other disciple of John when he said, come and see. You see, there's this confidence. Once you've encountered Jesus, to look at others and say, you've got to see him. You, you really do. He, he really is this one. It's, in a sense, the simplest thing of all, to simply say, come and see him. Don't see me, don't see us, but see him. There's this confidence to say, if you only could see him, if you only could meet him, if you only knew him, then everything would change and everything would change for the better in in your whole life. You would have this freedom from guilt and freedom from the power of sin in your life and you'd be united to God and everything would change. It seems to be the refrain over and over again. It's rather simple, isn't it? But it's... Jesus, the realization that our whole destiny depends upon upon him and who he is and, and no one else, really. We can introduce people to other people. We can introduce people to other philosophies. We can introduce uh, people to other ways of life and all that sort of thing and, and coping mechanisms and this and that. And some are helpful and some are not. But, but, but the, these people really get it. They really see that. Come and see him. Come and see him. And then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I grew up with a version of the Bible that said, In him there is no guile. It's just an old-fashioned word for deceit. <laughs> thought it was a stomach condition when I was a kid. In him there's no, no, no deceit. He's, he's honest. Now, Jesus wasn't affirming necessarily Nathaniel's prejudice here. He wasn't saying you're right about Nazareth, way to go. He didn't say you had great insight. He just said you're honest. Bigots often are. <laughs> They're often very willing <laughs> to tell you their prejudice. Jesus was just saying you're honest. You tell it like it is. 
You know, just because a person tells it like it is doesn't mean he actually tells it like it is. He actually tells it like he thinks he is, but at least it is. But, 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 it, but he's honest about it anyway. There's no hypocrisy here. And Jesus hated hypocrisy. So at least he said, hey, you're an Israelite. You're a child of Jacob in whom there was great deceit, if you know Jacob's life. You're not like that at all. You're honest. I can work with that. And then Nathaniel says something. He said to him, how do you know me? Now, now we know, we don't know everything that was going on in that moment in time and all of that, but we get what God wants us to get here. But we are to stop at this and realize that in that moment, in the presence of Jesus, Nathaniel knew he was known. This one comment, but, but he says, you, you know my insides. You really know who I am. You know my character. You know how I process things. You know how I think about things. You know my emotions. You know everything. How do you, how do you know me? We've, we've never really, really met. And then Jesus answered him before Philip called, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, much has been made about the fig tree. <laughs> we're not really told much about it. Fig trees in those days were interesting for a number of, of things. One is that they often represented a place of meditation. And that because if you wanted to kind of get away from it, uh, you could go find a fig tree. Their branches were such that you could kind of get underneath, if you will. And then it was likely that no one could really see you well. And it was likely that you wouldn't be distracted by all the stuff going on the outside. I don't know where you go to just be quiet and, 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 and meditate, but it's a good thing to have a place where maybe nobody can see you and maybe you're not distracted by everything else going on. That was the fig tree. And Nathaniel would have known that, how could you see me? And, and you weren't even around here. And you saw me there. Now, commentators go on often and say that the language suggests and the situation suggests that Nathaniel also realized that not only did Jesus see him there, but he also knew what was going on in Nathaniel's mind and heart at that moment. And we, we don't know what that was. He doesn't say. Was he contemplating the Messiah? We don't know. And then Jesus said, and then Nathaniel after this says, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. So at that moment in time, it, it all came crashing in on Nathaniel, who this Jesus really was. And he made a proper profession, if you will. He understood who Jesus really was. Now I want to pause here just a second, if you will, and, 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 and notice, notice something. And that is that Jesus... Uh, Knows us. He knows the outside of us, that is, the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Sitting under the fig tree, sitting in your car, or being at home, or wherever you happen to be. He knows that. And also, he knows the thoughts of our hearts. 
Now, that could be scary. You know the thoughts of your heart. It could be scary if anybody knew all of them, right? Especially someone like Jesus, who's God. I mean, you, you know what you want other people to see about your life. And you know what's going on on the inside. And you go, he, he knows all of that. That could be scary because you might think maybe what he's going to do is expose me. Or maybe what he's going to do is reject me, condemn me. But, but maybe... If he really is the savior, what he'll do is save you. What he'll do is come to you and say, come to me. All you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You say, really? Do you really know me? He says, oh, yes, I do. I know you're weary. I know you're weary from the sin that you carry. I know you're weary from the fact that you feel like everything's on your shoulders. I know you're weary because you're trying to do it your own way. Now, please come to me. When you come to me, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when you come to me, what will happen, you see, is that you'll receive forgiveness of your sins. And that burden will be lifted. And you'll know... That now you're united with God. Now that's a yoke that's easy. Learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. And in me you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, There's another aspect. Of his knowing us, especially for believers. It it, it should be for us a a sweet, sweet grace. A sweet, sweet uh, assurance that that he knows every circumstance in which we we find, uh, in which we find ourselves. Um, We could find ourselves in situations, for instance, that are terrible. That are our worst nightmares. And what we realize then is that uh, Jesus, you see, really knows. It might be that we failed a test. It might be that we're at the doctor's office and get a bad report. It might be that you're sitting at home and you get a bill that you, that you, really, can't, that you really can't pay. And there you find yourself all alone. But the Lord knows. I, when, when, before I came here, which was a long time ago, and I was in Colorado pastoring a church there on the pastoral staff, I used to visit this um, older woman. She was in her 90s. I should have prepared better for this. Just give me a minute. <laughs> ah, there you go. He's too close. Her name was Gertie. <clears throat> Gertrude Wainwright. She was from England and uh, she was in failing health, lived with her daughter. So she would call me every few weeks for a cupper. And I would come for a cup of tea. 
she lived in a little townhouse, very small. And uh, it was one of those little places you walked in the living room and, and there was a little bay window and there was this small table that uh, had two chairs and lots of cloth. Tablecloth, doilies, all the things you would expect. Usually two cups of tea, china, two cups, little pitcher of tea, little teapot. We'd sit and talk and she would... I should get a different illustration for the second service. <clears throat> she would she would tell me all of her ailments and all the things that were going on. And, and in my great experience as this 30-something-year-old guy, being a pastor, realizing I should have the right words to say to her, I would try my best to say things. And she normally would shush me. And she could. And she would just simply say, Ah, my sweet Bill, the Lord knows. Actually, what she would say is she would say the shepherd knows, because that's how she always referred to the Lord. I'll have to tell you sometime about the time the shepherd visited her one night at her window. But that, but that did it for her. That's all she needed. I mean, that's all she needed was to know that the Lord knew. And it was like that she knew, that he knew, that she knew, that he knew, that he knew. That that's all it took because he knew and because he was the shepherd, he was the Lord, then he was wise. And he was strong. And then he loved her. So she could wait. She could persevere. She could endure all the stuff she had told me that I thought was unendurable. She said, he knows. I'm okay. Oh, yes. My prayer, of course, is that we know that, that we know the Lord knows. Now, he knows from a number of angles. One, of course, he ordained the situation. But, but the point is we should just take comfort in to know that, that he knows about the situation that, that we're in, and that he's wise, and that he loves us, and that he's, that he's strong. So no matter what circumstance we're in, no matter how overwhelming it may be, whether it's under a fig tree or in a hospital or a funeral home or after a conversation or after a failure or after a breakdown or after a breakup or... After a bank statement comes or after you hear the news reports, after the tornado, the war, the famine, the abuse, the market crash, the job loss, he knows. We are never alone. Ever. And then he knows us on the inside uh, as, as, as well. Um, one pastor preaching on this sermon, on this text, uh, John Piper, brings up an old spiritual you know, the words, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And he says, well, there's, there's two ways to look at that, one which isn't true and one which is. When we say that nobody knows the trouble I've seen, that, that in one sense really isn't true. The scripture says there's no trial, no temptation, but such as is common to human beings. We, every circumstance we go through as a circumstance has been shared by others, other human beings. Uh, nothing that we go through is absolutely Positively unique, uh, unique to us. 
But, but what John Piper goes on to say is this. He says, where it is unique and where this statement is true is that nobody has ever been me in these circumstances. Nobody has ever brought my weakness and my sins and my experience to this moment of sorrow or anger or desire. That is, that nobody's ever been me in this situation. And for me, uh, I'm going through it. That's the unique part of it. It's my own life and all of that. Now, we can often get help from other people who've gone through experiences, and we should do that, and we do that, and there is a measure of help. But in the, in, in the midst of all of that, they know, and you know if you're sharing with them, that their experience is their experience. It's unique to who they are and, and all of that. I spoke to a friend recently who's gone through something that he knows others have experienced. And so we talk about the experiences of others in the midst of that. But I know that he knows that I know that he knows. And that really doesn't do it. Because he's experiencing it. Who he is. And all of his past. And all of his weaknesses. And all of his sins. And all of his faith. It's his circumstance. And nobody knows the trouble he's seeing like he knows the trouble he's seeing. So try as I might, I can't be him. Try as I might. (laughs) We both know that. So whether it's failing a test or a sin exposed or the realization that uh, we've done something that can't be undone or experienced a loss so deep the pain won't stop or a fear that just won't go, a rejection, a feeling of helplessness, aloneness. The question is, how can we get our bearings? And the answer is, there's somebody who really does know. There's somebody who really does know deeper than we even know ourselves. And that really is Jesus. He really does No, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It became just as we are yet without sin. But just as we are, you see, he really gets it. He really knows I can really go to him. I can go to him through others in some sense. And obviously through the word and through prayer. But so I go to him by the spirit, but I go to him. and, And he really does understand. You know the Psalm 139, don't you? The Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from afar. You search of my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. And even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame isn't hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed in me. When as yet there were none of them. How precious. And that's it, you see. This is what we must get. How precious this is. That he knows. We can go to him. We're literally never alone. Again, I remember looking over my wife's bed when she was in a coma at two in the morning after having had countless visitors all day, which were wonderful. 
And I simply said, you know, Lord, it's just us. It's just us. And one of us isn't doing so well. So please. You know. Please. And then, and then Jesus says to, to Nathaniel, he says, well, that didn't take much. He says, uh, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? He says, you'll see greater things than these. And he, he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, you know, Jesus is alluding to a situation that happened in the life of the patriarch Jacob. Jacob was asleep, had a dream. When he had this dream, he saw this ladder from earth to heaven. And angels were ascending and descending, which means there's the presence of God. And, uh, and, and God made a promise to Jacob, this will be your home, this land. And now Jesus takes it, but he spins it a bit. Because he says the angels are ascending and descending on me. He said, I'll get you there, Nathaniel. You'll see greater things than this. And we know what he meant. He meant his cross. And he meant his resurrection. He meant his ascension. He even meant his return. All that bundled up together. But he says, you you really, I, I do know. And you really can trust me. Because I'll unite you to God. And that's where you'll stay. You know, what I, you know where I'm staying? <laughs> I'm staying there. In my Father. You know where you're going to stay? With me. Unless we see it, don't we? That on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And we know that as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death. Until he comes. So we simply say, come and see. What do you see? Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And when he said that, he didn't say that I'm literally here, corporally, my body. He's saying, I'm here spiritually. These represent, when Jesus first said, this is my body and blood, his body was in front of them. His blood was going through his veins. But he says, no, 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 what do you see? Do you see me? The Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And he simply says, come. Trust me. Trust me. I'm that one upon whom you are able to ascend do you believe this? Do you really trust him? If you do, come and see. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that 
And we would know that we're in the very presence of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the King of all that is, the King of life and death. And so we pray that as we come to this table, Jesus, that you'll meet us as you always do, not just here, but Every time we come to you, not just every time we come to you, we we know that you're always with us. You know us. Every circumstance. Every thought. Every emotion. Every fear. So please, as we come, meet us, Jesus. grant grace establish faith satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts in Jesus name